You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Revelation chapter 12. We're in a sermon series that we are ending today, so we're going to go to Ephesians 6 as well, so you can find that uh, as well. You know, uh, you know uh, it's Halloween season when every single TV commercial uh, that comes on is a trailer for another, you know, scary movie. Uh, it seems like every single commercial is something scary is coming out. And uh, I saw the, the trailer for the new Halloween movie coming out. Apparently Jason is still alive and he's still after us and uh, he, he's coming. And so it's just funny how this time of year you go to the stores, you see all the witches, the ghosts, the zombies, all these evil images. And I don't know about you, but uh, I like the suspenseful kind of movies. So, you know, when you don't really know what's going to happen and uh, every now and then somebody jumps out and gives you a good scare, you know, The Quiet Place was a great movie. The guy with the office, good, good flick. But I'm not the, the, you know, the demon possession, gory, kill everybody kind of movie kind of guy. I'm not going to see The Nun. I'm not going to go see Insidious. Uh, that is not me. If there is a, you know, a freaky baby doll on the cover, I'm not going to see it. Those things freak me out. Uh, to this day, I've, I still have never seen The Exorcist, and so that's just not my uh, thing. I'm not going to go see that. And I think maybe part of it is because I've been in some situations where I really kind of felt like the person that I was with literally could have been possessed by a demon. And so there's some, some pretty intense situations that I found myself in that made me extremely uncomfortable. And, and so those kind of movies just put me in a weird place. And so I don't even want to go check them out. But uh, I think uh, when we look at the Bible, it clearly speaks about evil forces. And I think it's fitting that this time of year we find ourselves in Ephesians 6 today because it's all around us. And uh, even believers will decorate their houses uh, with it, we'll, we'll dress up our kids in evil images, we'll, we'll pretend like it's all in fun and games, and yet there is a side to the world here, a, a, an evil spiritual side to our world that is alive and well and active. The Bible teaches us that the devil is in fact a real being, that the other fallen angels with him are called demons and they work with him. And the Bible tells us that their desire is to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. And so some of you are here today and you would probably say that I feel like I'm experiencing some spiritual warfare. We've been talking about this uh, through this series. And so there is a battle raging in your life, in your personal life. And, and you could probably give us examples today of how you feel like the enemy is fighting against you today. Maybe somebody at work is trying to take your job, or maybe you're a parent and you're fighting with your son or daughter. Maybe your, your boss is on your back. No matter what it is, maybe your car is breaking down, someone close to you is sick, maybe your cat died, I don't know. That would probably be a good thing if your cat died. Let's, uh, I'm just kidding, some cat lovers are offended, but if your dog dies, it's like, my goodness. It's like all of these bad things are happening about it when you're experiencing some of this tension in your life. It, it really opens you up to more temptation. It makes you weaker. There's no margin in your life, so you fall for this temptation a lot quicker. So sin enters your life, and maybe you've prayed about it. Maybe you know, you've asked God to help you, and it just doesn't seem like God is doing anything. And so you walk in here today, and you're like, yeah, I, I feel like 
there could be a spiritual battle taking place in my life. And, and maybe you're kind of asking, is the devil doing all this? I mean, is this really like the enemy attacking me? I don't even know what spiritual warfare is. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what it looks like. And, and so today I want to show you how to fight against the schemes of the enemy. I want to show you from Scripture here what it looks like to overcome the temptation and the attacks of Satan in and through your life. Let's start today by answering the question, what is spiritual warfare? And a quick definition about what spiritual warfare is, is that it's a conflict between God and his followers versus Satan and his followers. God is good. He always does good. He cannot do evil. Satan is evil and always does what is evil. He cannot do good. So God's will always seeks to build and Satan's will always seeks to destroy. Well, how do we get to this place? Why is this even a reality in our world today? Well, you don't have to turn there, but in Ezekiel 28, it tells us that Satan was originally a created anointed angel and his job was to protect the throne of God. He was one of the, if not the most beautiful creations that God ever created. His splendor was exceptional. But in verse 17 of chapter 28 in Ezekiel, it says that his heart became proud on account of his beauty. It says, you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So his beauty enamored him. And as a result of that, God placed him on the earth, cast him out of heaven. Isaiah 14, 12 and 14 gives us even more insight. It says that Satan became enamored with himself and so focused on his beauty that he actually believed that he deserved to be God. And once he was consumed with himself, he was corrupted and his pride grew because of his beauty. And essentially he said, I want to be God and God cast him out of heaven. In chapter 12 of Revelation, I wanted to read this passage because this talks about that war that happened then, and then it shows us the result of that war. And so in verse 7 of chapter 12, it says this, now war arose in heaven. This is, this is pre-long time ago, right? Pre-Jesus, pre-you and I. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. That deserves a little woo-hoo, right? Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Hop down to verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, the woman is either the church or perhaps even Mary. 
But the point we want to see here is that the enemy made war on the rest of her offspring. In other words, those who would be believers. So what are we learning here? We're learning first and foremost that Satan is already defeated. That he arose in strength in heaven against God and he was not strong enough. He fell. In Revelation 20 verse 10, it says that one day he will ultimately be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. And so that is his demise. He knows that his time is short. So he has waged war against you and I, those who would believe and profess Jesus as our Savior. So yes, the war continues on earth. Yes, he is a real being. Yes, his his fallen angels, we call demons, are active in this world. And he wants to do everything that he can to destroy the work of God in your life, in the life of this church, and in the life of your family. So, now that we are all freaked out, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and see how we, in fact, live a victorious life against this enemy. It says this in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And let's just pause here for a minute. We'll pick up the rest of the passage. But he is saying here that finally his challenge and call to you and I after this entire letter that we've worked our way through is to be strong, to be strong. And so where do you get your strength from? When things are difficult in your life, what do you turn to for strength? Some of us turn to Netflix for strength to kind of zone out. Some of us turn to our parents to get that pep talk. Some of us, you know, turn to alcohol. Some of us, you know, turn to self-help books. What do you turn to for strength in your life? He clearly teaches us all throughout the scripture that our strength is limited. Our strength is, in fact, extremely weak. And so he directs us to be strong in what? In the Lord to be strong in the Lord because his power is unlimited. Stop trying to work in our own power and start working in his power. Let God be our source of strength. It's in his might, his power that we are delivered. It is through his strength that you and I are saved. It is through his power that you and I overcome. So how do we live in this power if it's available to us? God's power is unlimited. He never runs out of that power. He never runs out of that resource. And it's available to every single one of us who are part of the family of God. So how do we experience it? Well, he says, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So yes, he has schemes. Yes, he's trying to devour you. Yes, he's trying to tempt you. Yes, he's trying to destroy your life. But the scripture tells us to put on the armor of God. So it tells us there's something that you and I have to do. It's not like, you know, Iron Man, where the computer just kind of, and just comes and like forms on you. No, you have to do something. You have to put it on. 
And it's not just a part of the armor. You don't just put on the helmet and run into battle and think that's good enough. No, you run into battle with a helmet and leave your sword at home and you're going to get cut down pretty quick. He says, put on the whole armor of God. So there's, there, there are things that you and I have to do, and there are many things that encapsulate what it looks like for a follower of Christ to have the whole armor of God on. Power of God will be with us as we put on the armor. So it says in verse 11, the schemes of the enemy, the schemes of the devil. So this is the Greek word methodi. It's where we get our word method. And so Satan has methods to try to deceive us. He has techniques. He has a, a way to tempt us, these schemes, this strategy to encourage you and I to sin. He wants to deceive you and obviously ruin our life. And so his strategy will start by enticing you. So he wants to have a conversation with you. Hey, come over here. Let's have a, let's have a talk. What did Eve do in the garden? She, she had a conversation with the enemy. He said, hey, come over here. Let's have a talk. Hey, you, you need to get a bite of that tree over there. She's like, well, I'm not allowed to, not allowed to do that. Well, did, God didn't really mean that, did he? I mean, he, he's just trying to, he, he, he just doesn't want you to have any fun. I mean, every, everybody's experiencing this, and look at how fun it is. Look, look, look at all the cool stuff that you're going to get. Come on, let, I think it's going to be okay. He says, come over here. Let's have a conversation. Right? He entices us. And then, and then once we get to that moment of decision and we sin and we cross that line, then he becomes the accuser. Oh, you're such an idiot. I knew you were going to fall for it again because you're a loser. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. I don't even think that God loves you. And so he accuses you. And the accusations fall and rain down. And you listen to him. And from those accusations, then he just wants to confuse you. And in that state of accusation and in that stage of confusion, he just wants you to doubt God's word. Did God really say you can't eat from that? He wants you to doubt the Bible. All that stuff can't be true. I mean, it's an old book. All that stuff in there, come on. He wants to confuse you. God's not really doing anything in the world. That's not real. It's kind of like Star Wars. There's a forest. You just got to do your best and just go with it, man. He wants to confuse you. And if you're confused, then you'll be diffused. And when you're diffused, you have no passion. You have no power. You come on Sundays and you sit in a chair and you go home and do life. You don't engage the battle because the battle has already been won by the enemy, and you're a victim, and you're the one that won't put on the armor. You're the one that fell for it. You're the one that is being ruined because of it. See, these are the schemes, the methods, the strategy that the enemy wants to use to ruin your marriage, to ruin your finances. He wants to ruin all of your relationships. He wants to ruin your view of God. He wants to cause doubt. He wants you to be confused. And it's working for many of us. It's working. Verse 12, he says that we're wrestling. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. 
Now, the word wrestle there would literally means wrestle. <laughs> and in the ancient Greek world at this time, they wrestled much like we did uh, in, in tournaments, except for one, one big difference, like you had to pin down your opponent. But then they were also known for not just pinning, but you also gouged out the eyes of your opponent. So slight different than, than our you know, high school wrestling matches today. Um, but this is probably what the Ephesian church was, was thinking about. When, when Paul says this, that there's a wrestling match, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. And so there are serious consequences. He wants to pin us down, but he also wants to harm us. And in this harm, we realize that sin is dangerous. And it will always cost you more than you are willing to pay. And it will always keep you longer than you are willing to stay. Sin has extreme consequences. And, and so naturally for me, I'm reading this and I'm like, why does it got to be like this? Why has it got to be so difficult? Why can't it be easier? Why do we have to wrestle? And the answer is simple. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world where sin is rampant. Sin abounds. And conflict and testing are always a part of our life in this world. We'll always be here. Especially if you're growing closer to Christ. If your relationship with the Lord is growing, if you're trying to take that next step of faith, you can guarantee that the enemy is doing everything that he can to distract you and to destroy your efforts. Don't think that, oh, when I give my life to Jesus, then all of these problems are going to go away. No, the problems actually ramp up, my friend. When you finally understand what it looks like to follow and trust Jesus, and you finally are beginning to take steps into a deeper relationship with him, the enemy will ramp up his methods and strategy to defeat you. We have to be prepared. When you seek to do God's will, you are opposing the will of Satan. That's what a spiritual warfare really is. And so we must understand that conflict is going to happen. Satan wants you to, to not look to the needs of others. He just wants you and I to be totally self-centered. As long as we're only thinking about ourselves, as long as we're only doing what we think we need, then he's got us exactly where he wants us. But when we start thinking about God's mission and the needs of the gospel and the needs of God's church, then we can expect conflict. Some of you might say, well then, I don't really want to get involved in this conflict. I don't want Satan coming after me, so I'm just going to believe in Jesus and lay low. <laughs> and some people would try to take that technique, but I have to tell you that the enemy has already confused you if you've actually thought that. Jesus talked about people who tried to lay low. He said when they stand before God one day, he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. There is no such thing as a laying low believer. So we're wrestling against the enemy's schemes. We're wrestling not only against his schemes, but we're also wrestling against our own sinful desires. You don't have to turn there, but James 1, 14 and 15 tells us, that, tells us this. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. Notice his primary concern is not the enemy. His primary concern is our own evil desires. So you have a tendency and a propensity to sin in certain areas. Those are your own natural desires. And Satan wants to inflame those and, and use those. But a lot of times it's, it's not the enemy. He's not hiding under every rock. A lot of times it's just my own evil desires. 
And so that's why in Romans 7, Paul talks about this battle within him. He wants to do the right thing, but he ends up doing the wrong thing. And he calls himself a wretched man. Why am I doing this? I know what's right. I want to do what's right, but then I do what's wrong. This is the internal battle that every single Christian in this room should be experiencing every single week. Verse 12 is a little confusing as well. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And I look at that and I say, Paul, we we went through the book of Acts last year as a church, and we saw where Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, thrown in prison, bitten by a snake, flogged, stoned, and left for dead. Bro, you've been in a battle against flesh and blood. Like, people have been kicking your butt. You know, people are after you. People are harming you. You're bleeding. You're hurting. You're in prison. How can you say that there is not a battle against real flesh and blood, real people? And I think he would answer, answer us, yes, you're right. Flesh and blood is real. It is evil. But what I believe he means is that whenever someone attacks me, whenever someone tries to hurt you, Something else is going on, much deeper, much bigger, more terrible, more sinister, more devious, and more evil than you and I could ever understand. And the people harming us don't even understand that, but the Spirit of God understands it. And the enemy knows exactly what he's trying to do. He will use people to hurt you. He will use people to harm us. But Paul's focus is not on the people. His focus is on the enemy. And that might be a word for some of you here today who are holding strong bitterness and strong anger towards people who have hurt you. John Calvin talks about this. Google it. He's got a great statement on it. Too long to explain or go into. But at the end of the day, if, you, if you're spending your time hating or holding bitterness against someone that harmed you, you're wasting your time and your energy and your effort Because he or she was used by the enemy to harm you. They were lied to. They were schemed. So yes, God will hold them responsible. God will judge them. Don't worry about that. You understand that there is a bigger story taking place. And the story is, who are you going to worship? Who who are you going to give your life to? Are you going to give your life to the bitterness and the anger and the rage? Or have you given your life to Jesus? And so that's where your mind and that's where your focus is going to be. You've got to put on the armor of God. How do you, how do, you do it? How do you, how do you put on the armor of God? Some of you are depressed, discouraged, disengaged. You're in a war with no rep weapons at all. But if you'll put on the armor of God, you'll overcome the enemy. And here's what it looks like. Let's pick it up. He says this in verse 13, take, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the, spirit of the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. He says, number one, to put on the belt of truth. 
Listen, you hopefully come to church to hear the truth of God's word, but you also come to church to learn how to live the word of God. It's not just about learning new things. It's about doing the new things that you and I have learned. You've got to learn how to put on your big boy pants. You've got to learn how to put on the belt of truth and understand the truth and live by the truth and believe the truth and think the truth. Very practically, what does a belt do? Well, a belt holds your pants up, right? And if you're not wearing a belt, eventually your pants are going to fall down and you're going to expose your body parts. And what he's saying is, if you are not putting on the belt of truth, one day you will be exposed. One day you'll be exposed. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But eventually your pants are going to fall down and it's going to be extremely embarrassing. And God says, don't, don't wait for that. Put, 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 on your, put on your pants, put your big boy pants on, put, put the belt of truth on. And listen, you don't, you don't look at people at church and, 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 and see who's got the belt of truth on at church. This is not the place to, to, to find that because everybody puts on their, their, their cowboy buckle and belt at church, right? Let's see how big we can get the belt buckle. And yeah, look at me, I'm wearing it and I'm doing it and I'm living it. And it's not here that we... Realize that it's what are you doing when you're by yourself? What do you believe in when no one's around? The question, really, you might write this down is Am I the same person in public and when nobody else is looking? Am I the same person in public and when no one else is looking? Because it's easy in public to look like you're living by the truth. Come on now, it's not hard to do. Is anybody with me today? That's easy. That's easy. What are you doing when you're alone? When no one's around. That's how you know if you're living by the truth of God's word. He says you've got to put on the belt of truth. The enemy works most often in those secret hidden places where we can hide in our sin. And if you are one person in this place and somebody else in another, chances are you're not living with the belt of truth. And you've lost the battle already. Secondly, he says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. In other words, make right choices. It was used to protect the heart. It was used to protect the vital organs of the soldier. And he says, we've got to put it on. And so when we have faith in Christ, we have been given his righteousness, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has already done for us. So when the enemy tells you that your sin is too bad to be forgiven or you're too far gone to be used by God, the breastplate of righteousness says, I am already righteous because of what Christ has done for me. He made me righteous and therefore now I have the ability to make right choices. Without Christ, I don't have the ability to make right choices that please God. With Christ, I have the ability to make the right choice. Do not live your life as a victim. I can't ever do it. It's always going to be there. No, you put on the breastplate of righteousness, and in the power and strength of God, you are able to make the right choices. So the question here is, do I consistently choose what is right? How do you know if you're wearing the breastplate of righteousness? Do you consistently choose what is right? Or at work, do you consistently steal from the customer or steal from your boss or lie to your spouse? Are you consistently in sin or do you consistently choose the right path? Thirdly, he says, put on the right shoes. Put on the right shoes. These are the, the shoes that lead us to be ready 
to go with the gospel of peace. Now, a sure sign of readiness is do you have your shoes on? I don't know about you, but as a parent of four kids, it is a, it's an act of God to get my kids ready and out the door on time. Anybody with me on that? Like I can tell them, for instance, hey, we're leaving at 6 p.m. Everybody be ready. And they speak English. <laughs> they know the words that are coming out of my mouth. And, and, and so, you know, it's 6 o'clock that we're, we're going to leave. And so time is going. Everybody's moving. Things are happening. And I'm feeling pretty good. My wife is even getting ready. Okay, I give the five-minute warning. Everybody ready? We got five minutes. And what do I hear? Yeah, we're ready. Everybody's downstairs, right? So I come downstairs at 6 o'clock, ready to go. Everybody's on their phone, ready to go, right? Okay, let's go. Okay, let me get my shoes on. (laughs) All the kids in the room, can we just have a come-to-Jesus moment right here on Spiritual Warfare Day? If there are any teenagers in the room, you are not ready unless your shoes are on (laughs) and Jesus here is teaching us you're not ready if you don't have the readiness of the gospel of peace in your heart in your mind on your words he's literally talking about taking the gospel and taking it to a lost and dying world you got your shoes on you run around barefoot God has blessed you with the gift of salvation and you've just been selfish with it. No, he says, put on your shoes. You got to get your shoes on. You got to get ready. The Roman soldiers, their shoes, their boots actually had spikes in them uh, because they wanted to have a a, a sure footedness. They they wanted to stand their ground. I mean, when you're hand to hand combat, you've got swords or, you know, flying. You don't want to fall down because if you fall down, you're finished, Right. And, and, and so he says, be ready, have the right shoes on so that when you stand up against the enemy, you're not going to fall down. You're going to be able to have an answer for the hope that you have within your life. You're going to be able to answer, well, here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus has done. And you're not going to get put on your back. You've got the readiness of the gospel of peace in your life. The gospel brings peace to marriages. The gospel being, brings peace to, to mankind. And we're called to take that, but we can't take it if we don't have our shoes on, if we don't have the right shoes on. So the question is, do I stand firmly in my faith and share the love of Christ? Your feet firmly planted? Are you impacting anyone with the gospel today? Are you inviting anyone to Southern Sunday? Or is that just a gimmick for you and and so it's not a big deal? You're just going to show up and hopefully it's an entertaining day? We don't do this for you, FYI. I don't do it for me. We do it so that a lost community can find a home and can find the gospel of peace in this place. And so we better put our big boy pants on today. We better put our shoes on today. And as we leave, we've got to be ready to enter the battle. Right? You with me on that? Some of, I feel like some of us are asleep. Is it early? Is it too cold outside? Look at, your, look at the person next to you and say, are you with him? Are you with him today? We, we got to get this. There's a battle going on. There, there's a war going on. I don't care who played football yesterday or who lost last night or who is going to play this afternoon. There's a battle going on, and there are men and women on their way to hell. And if you don't care about it, we got issues. You got issues with the Lord. 
you've got a heart issue today we need to resolve because we've got to care about that. We've got to understand what we have. Number four, he says the shield of faith. The shield was not Captain America circular shield. It was a really long shield that a soldier could completely hunker down behind and cover his whole body. When an enemy is shooting arrows at you, uh, you, you want to have a, a, a full protection here. And so this is the, the idea that he has. And, and he says the enemy is, is going to be f- you know, shooting some fiery uh, flamed darts, arrows your way. He's going to shoot arrows that are going to cause you to question your faith, to question your call, to question whether or not if you're worthy enough, to question if you can really serve, to question and doubt God, to become discouraged, to think only about yourself. All of these arrows are being bombarded at you every day, every time you turn on the TV, every time you look at your phone, every time you act selfishly, every time you're around people that act selfishly, the enemy's arrows are coming your way. Are you going to have faith despite the circumstances? Because that's what it boils down to. Are we the kind of people who, when circumstances change, blame God, reject God, cast him off as a liar, or with the shield of faith, do we allow our faith to block those attacks, to block those thoughts? You see, that's what he's talking about. Our faith has to be strong enough to be able to deflect those strategies that the enemy would fire our way. So the question is, do I trust God enough to do whatever he asks, regardless of the opposition or difficulties? Do I trust God enough to do whatever it is he's calling me to do? Whatever it is he's calling me to do, I'm going to do because by faith, I believe that he's going to bring it to be. So if God is calling you into the ministry, will you be bold enough to respond to that call? If God is calling you to go to the nations with the gospel and to leave the comforts of East Tennessee and live somewhere in another country to take the gospel to an unreached people group, will you go? Or will you say, eh, a little too scary? God is telling you to give financially. Will you give? God is telling you, our church needs to reach more people with the gospel, but are you going to say, eh, we've done enough. We don't need second campuses. We don't need, we don't need more people. We don't need more stuff. I mean, come on. Are you going to be willing by faith to say whatever you do, whatever you want me to do, God? And this is my prayer for me. This is my prayer for us as a church, that we get to a place that we can say the only thing that matters is what God wants me to do. And if I can get there, then the enemy cannot hurt you. Paul is literally in chains and in prison, and he's rejoicing because the enemy cannot, would not be able to hurt him. His faith and his passion And the armor of God was placed upon his body, and he was living for Jesus alone. Number five, he says the helmet of salvation. Now think about what a helmet does. The helmet protects your mind. You see, the mind protects everything that we do. The mind thinks, and then we act. So the battle is really between your ears today. The battle is raging in your mind. He wants, the enemy wants to discourage you. He wants you to be thinking down so that you are not looking up to what God wants you to experience in your life. See, the battle's in your mind today. This is the hidden area. 
you can be sitting in here listening, but your mind could be somewhere completely different. You could be thinking about something completely not what we're talking about here today. That's how the mind works. We can be here in body. Our mind could be somewhere else. And so we've got to protect our mind. We've got to guard our mind. You see, the mind is the gateway to the transformation of your heart. The habits in your life won't change. Your heart won't change until you first make a decision in your mind to think differently. This is why Jesus, as he was teaching, always said, do you guys not understand this? How come you guys don't get this yet? Are you so dull? He said that constantly because he's like, when are you guys going to learn this? When are you going to get it? Why? Because when you get it, when you learn it, when you understand it, then it begins to transform your heart. That's why Paul spent three chapters in the beginning of Ephesians telling us who we are, who we are in Christ, that you're chosen, that you're loved, that you're a child of God, that he predestined you from the foundation of the world so that he could get us thinking in the right direction. Because when we think in the right direction, when we understand who we are in Christ, then chapters four, five, and six, we can live for God. The practical, how we apply it to our life. Wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior. Wrong thinking leads to strongholds in your life. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is any sin in your life that you think will never change or could never change. So if you're here today and you have a bad self-image and you think I'm never going to think I'm, I'm good enough or pretty enough or, or, or I have what it takes, that could be a stronghold in your life, a stronghold of wrong thinking leading you to behave wrongly and believe wrongly about your God. That's a stronghold. Some of you, you're going you're gonna to realize maybe it's just bad management of money and you consistently manage your resources poorly. It's a stronghold in your life and you think it's never gonna change. I'm always gonna have this debt. I'm never gonna overcome it. That's a stronghold. For some of you, it's food. I'm always gonna be overweight. I'm, I'm, I'm always gonna take this, the, the second helping. I'm always gonna eat poorly. That could be a stronghold in your life. Maybe it's sexual desires. We say, well, it's just who I am. I, I can't overcome it. It's just what I do. It's just, it's just what I, I know. And no, it's a stronghold. It's destroying your life. It's killing you. Literally, physically, it might be even killing you. The enemy is winning. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, not to let the devil get a foothold. The Greek word foothold there literally means not to give him any space. Don't give him any space in your life. What was Eve's problem? She gave the enemy space. She engaged him in conversation. She listened to what he had to say, right? And so I, I, I know there's a lot of churches that are legalistic and they preach don't go to this kind of movie and don't listen to that and don't go here. And, and so I, I, I don't think that's a good approach. I, I do think I understand why some guys preach that way. And, and it's out of the mentality that, that we don't want to give the enemy any space in our life. And when you go experience that or listen to that or read that or go into those environments, you're going to experience temptation and most likely you're going to hurt yourself. And so the concept here is don't give him any space. If, you, if, if, if sexual desires is, is a stronghold or, or temptation in your life, then why would you even decide to watch a movie that has sexual encounters in it? Why would you even do that? You're, you're giving the enemy space in your life to work. He's the prince of the power of the air. 
He, he has impacted your life in, in so many negative ways. Why would you just fling open the door for him? Right? If it's pornography and you're thinking in your mind, well, I can't wait till my wife goes to bed so that I can you know, browse around a little bit. You've already lost the battle and she's not even asleep yet. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to your kids? Well, wrong thinking leads to wrong behavior. There's a stronghold in your life. You've got to see it for what it is. You don't think it's hurting anybody. It's hurting you. It's hurting your walk with God. We can't move in the direction of the enemy. So the question is this. Is God honored by what goes on in your mind? Is God honored, ladies? All the negative self-talk that you're not pretty enough and you need surgery and you need this makeup and you need that hair treatment and you need this, you need that because you're not good enough. Is that the way God would have you think? Or do we need to go back to Ephesians 1 and 2? Recognize who we are in Christ. Have we bought into the lie of the enemy that we have to look a certain way to be accepted? Guys, have we bought into the lie that, that, that our sexual sins aren't affecting anybody. It's all done in private. It's all done by myself. Nobody is around. It's just me. You don't have the belt of truth on. You're going to get exposed. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But most importantly, your relationship with God is already hurt. You're already wounded. And if you were honest, you're empty today. You, you already know it's there. You just aren't doing anything about it. Don't you want to fight? Put on the armor of God. Make a difference in this world. Leave a legacy. Because right now that's in the balance. Number six is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's a defensive um, weapon, but it's also offensive. So I block with the sword, but then I also uh, stab and, and I can use it offensively against the enemy. And so do you know the Word of God? Do you have a daily appointment to study the Word of God? When somebody asks you what do you believe, do you just say, well, I believe this? Or do you preface it by saying, well, the Word of God says this, therefore I believe this. There's a difference. The Word of God, the Bible says, is like medicine to our soul. It's living and it's active. And God uses it to transform your heart, to change your mind. You don't want to hide behind the excuse that you don't have time. That's really lame. <laughs> you don't want to hide behind the excuse that I don't want to read. The enemy is kicking your butt. The enemy's kicking your tail. And you don't even know it. We got to wake up. We got to put on the armor of God, the full armor of God. You don't just go into battle fully dressed though. There's something else you need. Number seven, he says here, we got to pray at all times. Pray unselfishly. Pray consistently. When everything is going well, you might not feel a strong desire to pray. Many don't live like they need God until something bad happens, but if we want to win the battle, prayer has to be a part of our life every single day and live in a spirit of prayer. So what does your prayer life look like? Is it, is it there? When people say, hey, how can I pray for you? Is it, well, I don't know. If it's, I don't know, you're not even thinking about it. Our go-to is pray for my Aunt Flossie's big toe. That's <laughs> my theology professor always used to say. It's like we always want to pray for somebody in the hospital. Why? Because that's easy. 
It's not personal. It's not, hey, I haven't read the Bible in a week. I need prayer to like get, get my act together. For some of you, it might be months. Hey, I, I need to pray for opportunities to share my faith because I, I just don't share my faith. I, I've never even led anyone to Christ. I, I need God to give me opportunities to do this. And I, I, I need prayer because I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about blessing this person financially. I'm thinking about blessing this area financially, and I'm trying to decide where to give money. No, it's typically, hey, can you, you know, give me money to help me pay off something? What's your prayer life look like? We're in a war. The enemy is doing everything that he can to defeat you. But listen, today we can praise God that God gave through Jesus. He gave us the weapons to live a victorious life. So we don't leave today worried. We leave today understanding that it is real and it is, it is important but that the power of the Holy Spirit living within us has given us every single resource we need to kick the enemy's tail today, tomorrow, and next year, and the following year, and the marriage that sucks today doesn't have to next year. And the sin you're you're getting messed up with today doesn't have to mess you up next month. The very power of God is right here in this moment for you to pick up to live and to walk out of here victorious. It is there, man. It is right there for you. Yeah. The enemy is already defeated, but he knows his time is short, and our time is short as well. And so we've got to do everything we can to follow and trust the Lord, accomplish the things that he's given us to accomplish. Then and only then do we live life to the fullest. We're going to close today with the Lord's Supper. We we really wanted to end this series by remembering why we have the weapons to overcome the enemy. We have the weapons to overcome because we have a Savior who took our sin to the cross. He died for you. He rose from the grave. And if your faith is in Jesus today and you have salvation in him, he has already given you those resources. He's already given it to you to, to win. And so today we close remembering that power, remembering that sacrifice, remembering that he conquered the grave, he conquered sin, and remembering that Jesus provides the armor needed to win every battle we face today. As I pray, ushers, go ahead and get for, come forward and begin to pass out the elements. We, we pass out the bread and the juice at the same time. Scripture tells us to, to spend some time in confession, spend some time with the Lord in prayer, and then you take it on your own. If you have kids in the room, this is for those who have actually put their faith in Christ. And so this is a good teaching lesson for them. And as we prepare, let's prepare our hearts for what God wants us to receive today. Father, we bless you today. We're encouraged today. Lord, we need to be encouraged. We need to understand, God, that in and through you, we have the power. We have the strength to overcome temptation. Your word says that in every temptation that we experience, you will provide a way out. You will provide the escape route, but we've got to prepare ourselves. So, Father, help us to get ready. 
Help us to put on the full armor and be ready to fight and be ready to see more lives transformed. God, we pray for next Sunday. We pray that we would see people come to know you. We pray for salvations. God, for those people that each and every one of us are inviting, I pray, God, that you would just encourage them to come. Lord, as we face opposition today and as we leave this week, give us strength. Help us to remember your word, to remember your truth, who we are in you, and how you have given us the power and strength to overcome. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.